Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. All right, it is that time to keep that promise of going back to Matthew chapter 17, where we left off. I'll give you a second to get settled in there, Matthew 17, uh, just as we promised before the holidays that after Christmas and the new year, we would come back to uh, Matthew chapter 17, picking up where we left off, because that's what we do at this church. If you're new, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and right straight through. We bounce around the New Testament on Sunday mornings, and on Wednesday nights, back in the day, we uh, devoted our studies to the Old Testament, and if you go online, most of the Old Testament, verse by verse, is exposited there for you on our church uh, website or the app. Let's go to the Lord for a word of prayer. Father God, we pray that as we consider your living, active word, that you describe as sharp, like a sword, like a scalpel, in the hands of the great physician who's motivated by love. You see the spots in us that need to be touched and healed and strengthened or cut away. We pray that you have full access and our full cooperation today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we mentioned this morning in the announcements that the giving statements are being prepared and ready to be sent out because it's that time of year when we begin to be thinking about paying our taxes. Uh, donations to churches, of course, and nonprofits are tax deductible. Uh, which lessens the tax burden, and that's why churches keep records, and uh, that encourages uh, people to give and to be generous. As one Christian said, I'd rather give to Father God than to Uncle Sam. And (laughs) giving to Uncle Sam has never been a pleasurable experience for most especially when it seems excessive or spurious or or invalid or not authentic. And so the first Americans, man, they enjoyed a tax-free life because there was no Uncle Sam yet. There was no federal government established. But of course, before Uncle Sam, there was King George III that they had to deal with and deal with him they did. He had several taxes. They had to pay those colonists there, a head tax, a real estate tax, and an infamous tea tax that became the Boston Tea Party. And I'm from Massachusetts. And yeah, so we all know how that went over, (laughs) quite literally, the tea (laughs) 
All 342 cases of tea went over into Boston Harbor, as my friends would say, there much to the king's dismay, which led to the Revolutionary War just a few years later, and to a federal government of our own. And with the new federal government came Uncle Sam and a whole new set of taxes. Very good. And Ben Franklin, who was alive at the time and really credited with this quote that there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. Yes, and sometimes it's hard to know which we would prefer. <laughs> well, we're saved. We're going to go be with Jesus, right? And so the whole wonderful issue of paying tax predates Western civilization, doesn't it? And when Jesus walked the earth that he created, it was the Romans' turn to rule and impose and collect taxes. And they were especially unpopular, uh, especially with occupied nations whom Rome subjugated and kind of controlled and oppressed, really. And so like Israel... And uh, they did not appreciate having Roman rule, especially because it was pagan and uh, they were Gentiles. And so you'll recall the trick question that will come up up the road a ways here in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, the trick question, the leaders had them in the temple courts and they say, hey, you know, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And uh, he says, give me a coin. And he looks at the coin, says, whose image is that? And they say, Caesar. And he says, well, you know, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God, meaning there's an image there pressed into the coin. Give that, go a portion of that can go to Caesar. But your soul has been imprinted in the image of God. So you can give your coins to Caesar, but give your life. To God. And that silenced them, and they left him alone for at least several hours. <laughs> and they were silenced. But what you may not realize is that's not the only incident involving Jesus and the issue of paying taxes. Here in Matthew chapter 17, where we're picking up, is yet another little vignette. It's just a tiny little incident. And it's very uh, insightful and very intriguing with a crazy wow punchline here. And, and, and as you'll see, there's some truths in there that we'll unpack that are very timely and going to be very helpful for us who are believers going into an uncertain world here uh, the week before Inauguration Wednesday here this coming up. And so I think... Uh, Matthew 17, starting at verse 24, is going to be quite helpful this morning. Here is the incident. And Jesus and his disciples arrived back home after evangelizing the region to Capernaum. The collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty, tribute, taxes, same word? From their own kids, their own family, their own sons, or from others? From others, Peter answered. 
then the sons are exempt, Jesus said. It goes on. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open up its mouth, guess what you're going to find? A poor drachma coin, Peter. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. And so we are going to park there. We're going to consider these delightful words. And this little incident begins a new section. Matthew 18 is next week. And that theme there is heaven's values and relationships in the kingdom of God. And so this confrontation begins that theme by showing us the values that Jesus holds dear, with the, uh, the guiding principles of the Son of God, and, and what's most important to him when Jesus is about to make a, digi- a decision, should I or shouldn't I, there's a higher law that guides him. And whatever is the higher law in Christ's life that helps him decide how to speak and how to behave, well, that better be part and parcel of our lives because we follow him as the word of God says. Those who claim to know the Lord have to live as Jesus lived. That's 1 John 2, verse 6, if you're taking notes. So what was that most important thing so valuable to Jesus that mattered most to our master? Well, here it is. He wanted never to unnecessarily offend anyone. That everything he said and did would not needlessly stumble somebody so that they couldn't come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's the whole point. That's why we're here. The overarching theme of your life, whether you know it or not, is to shine light in a dark world that others might see it and be drawn to God and be rescued from the condemnation and the wrath to come. And so here before us then is a teaching that shows us and teaches us that in everything we say and do we must not hinder unnecessarily but we must help them. And so the passage before us, it lays out quite nicely. First, there's a question to Peter. Then there's an answer from Jesus. And then there's a course of action to follow. So let's dive in with the question. All right, and here are the verses here. I call it a question, but let's call it for what it is. It's an accusation. It's a slanderous kind of an insult. It's sneaky and subtle in the way you can't really see it. Uh, But let me paraphrase verse 24. Jesus and the 12 return home to home base there after ministering, and the tax men cometh. All right? They scout out Peter to ask about Jesus. So, your rabbi doesn't pay the temple tax, does he? That's the sentiment there. It's phrased as a negative. He doesn't do it. He doesn't care about the temple tax, obviously. He's got bigger fish to fry, 
right? He's moved on with his new wineskins, you know. Obviously, he doesn't care about what's so important, (laughs) the Jewish people, the heartbeat of religion, everything sacred, the temple. He doesn't pay that, right? So there's the snarky complaint, really. Maybe in King James, it sounds a little bit more... um, Uh, the way it is. Doth not your master pay tribute to the temple? (laughs) You see, King James always has a way (laughs) to do that. Uh, So, yeah, it's not an innocent question for clarification. You know, like, hey, guys, hey, what's up? Uh, Hey, Peter, does your rabbi pay the tribute? You know, just wondering, because I know, we know the Sadducees don't. They didn't. And the priest declined to pay it because they said they were exempt. And we also know that it's not mandatory, it's just a tradition. And so we're curious, given his great claims, does he pay? Oh no, 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 it was nothing like that. And so, and interestingly, Jesus' detractors today do the same thing. They go to his followers when they have a beef with him, with a question that is not really a question, but they frame it in a question so to look less hostile, less confrontational, more innocent, right? And so, yeah, so they'll say to the follower, you know, the same kind of setup with the question, so your God created everything in six days. Well, and, and so the earth is only 10,000 years old. That's what you're telling me, question mark. Oh, that's not a question. That's a statement, right? We know what you're saying. That, or you believe your master, see, your master, you believe your master made this great big fish and it swallowed up Jonah, Right? That's not a question. That's called an insult. Right? Uh, So it's okay for your God to to tell Israel to go into Canaan and wipe everybody out. Just asking. Just just asking a question. No, you're not just asking a question. You're not just saying, well, let me get this straight. Good, hardworking, decent, sincere people who just don't believe in your master. He's going to send them straight to hell. Right? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's not a question. That's called protesting your offense because you have disdain for something that you reject that the master who, with whom you have the problem, not us, you notice they don't care about Peter. They're not asking Peter, hey, pay up. Uh, what do you think? No, no, we've got bigger fish to fry, sir. We're after him. Our problem is not with you. As Jesus tried to tell us, if they have a problem with you, could you keep in mind that it's me they have the problem with? And you're imitating me, and that's why you're in the hot seat, friend. That's what he says. And so, yeah, um, it's worth noting here uh, what the temple tax was all about. Let me... uh, tell you about that. It wasn't a command. It was not. It was based on a command, and it became a tradition like a lot of things uh, do. And so in Exodus 30, where you'll find the original call to the temple tax, it was 
in association, when Israel took a census to count the uh, guys who were 20 and, and older for the military, and each guy had to, to, to pay a tax of um, $100, okay? And so that represented a thankful response to being redeemed. If they died in battle, they knew that, that God had bought them and redeemed their soul. And so really, the Lord doesn't call it a tax in Exodus 30. He calls it an offering. And scholars say it appears to be one time, not an annual thing. And if it were to appear again, it would be only in the context of a census census, uh, of fighting men. And so, yeah, seems to have begun annually. 600 years later, King Joash, do you remember this? Second Kings chapter 12. He had a real heart for God, especially in his early days. And King, uh, what was it, Ahab and Jezebel were the former administration and they were so godless. Do I need to comment on Jezebel? Come on. Ahab, Ahab was, was wicked. And so they allowed the temple to go into disrepair and Joash came onto the scene and said, let's take a nationwide offering pointing back to Exodus 30 for the basis of a free will offering to fix up the temple. They put a barrel out front in front of the doors, put a hole in it, and and everybody came by and filled it up and they paid the carpenters, the masons, the builders, and the stonecutters there uh, to repair the house of the Lord. So what was the appeal back to Exodus 30 then became a tradition annually to have a tax. It was supposed to be free will offering as it said, let each give as they have made up their mind to give prompted by their heart, not reluctantly. And then God would would add the same verse to the New Testament about giving. And so, yeah, there's a difference between traditions and commands, and you're going to see that here in Jesus' thinking as well. Uh, Christians pray over their meals. It's a tradition. It's not a command. It feels like a command. It's like when when you're with a Christian and they don't bow their head, you're like, what? What is wrong with you? Are you even saved? You know, because it just seems like that's what Christians do. And it's lovely and delightful and should be done. We see it done in the Bible as an example, but it's a tradition. It's not a command. Like tithing. We call it tithing because the Old Testament had a mandate of tithes, a 10% of your income, to be brought into the temple. But, you know, when we get to the New Testament, we don't have a command. We have the same verse. Let each one give as they made up in their own mind, prompted in their own heart, not reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver, and a generous person shall prosper. And so that is, the tradition is called tithing, but it's based on a command that has become a tradition which is no longer in force as a command. And so, yeah, commands, traditions, and so, so much for the question, uh, the question that's really saying he's not about to pay that tax, is he? So here comes the answer. Uh, he's, Peter says, yes, he does. But then we go on to verse 25. Now, 25b, when Peter comes into the house after saying, yeah, sure he does, yeah. 
Jesus was first to speak, and if I would paraphrase, uh, in comes Peter, disgruntled face, you know, he's all flustered, like, what was that all about? And Jesus beats him to the punch. Okay, Simon, you tell me, do the kings, do kings tax their own kids, or do they tax their subjects? Peter's like, finally, an easy one. <laughs> you know, they tax others, they don't tax their own family. So then that would mean, Simon, that the king's sons are free. So let's talk about this. Now, here comes the answer. Peter, we love him because he's the best. We just really do. It seems Peter is unclear. He doesn't really know because Jesus has to walk him through the logic here. So Peter's unclear, but he's going to speak and, and then think about it later. That's what he does. So it's in keeping with his impulsive personality. He he's feels uh, threatened, confronted, you know. So he, he answers real quick and fast. Yes, he does. And here's the thing you've got to love about him, you know. He goes inside. They're waiting out there, Right? And so even when he seems unclear, he's, his heart is quick to want to paint Jesus in the best possible light because he loves him. And, and so, you know, one commentator put it this way, how different today Peter's bravado is a far cry from today's so-called Christians who are more concerned about how they themselves are perceived and received willing to throw Jesus and the gospel under the bus to improve their own reputation and comfort. They're willing to change his words and dishonor God by doing so. But Peter is like, my master, are you kidding me? He does the right thing. You had a problem with that? Yeah, he pays it. Why? What? You know, <laughs> and then he opens the door like, I'm going to go in and get it, I guess, I hope, you know, <laughs> you know. And so but Jesus has to just, you know, the word there in the Greek for uh, Jesus being the first to speak means he forestalled him. In other words, before he starts running his mouth as usual, he interrupted him before he even got a chance to run his mouth. And so he cuts him off at the pass. And I mean, it's nothing new for Peter. I mean, the father had to uh, interrupt him up on the top of the, the mountain there where he says, Peter, this is my son. Listen to him. Be quiet for a second, you know. And now the son has to interrupt him before he even starts. Poor guy. And so Jesus asks a question to Simon. Peter, let's talk about this. Let's think this through. And here's one of Jesus' 307 questions. 307 questions Jesus asks in the Bible. That's a lot of questions. And why? It's an effective teaching tool. If you can just tell somebody, this is the way it is, boom. Or you can say, hey, let's think about this. Let's, let's, let's walk through this logically and let me help you come to the knowledge of the truth, which he does, Right? And so that's, the truth is better grasped and retained when we come upon it ourselves. And so he says, hey, Peter, let's talk about this. What makes sense to you? Did King David send a tax bill to Solomon? 
And he says, no. He said, who did he send the tax bill to? The guys around the table, his own kids, or, or to the citizens that he's ruling over? And he says, the citizens. So let's do the math together. If Solomon is free and he's the son of David, but I'm the son of David in the greater sense of that word, and if I'm greater than Solomon, which Jesus already said, out loud, I'm greater than Solomon. And he also said, I'm greater than the temple. And then he also said, I'm greater than the Sabbath. When they're saying, oh, you healed on the Sabbath. He goes, you know what? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So in light of what you know about me and what I've called the temple, my house, not the Father's house. Jesus says, that's my house. The temple of God. My house. Does the Lord of the temple, the owner, God himself, pay tax, Peter? Well, of course not. And then he says, neither his sons, plural, meaning by extension in this regard of a temple tax, uh, his close servants of the son are exempt as well. And so the bottom line now after he says, and so I'm exempt, right, Peter? And then Peter's thinking, whoopsies, <laughs> you know, the guys are outside. I just said, yeah, sure, he pays it, you know? Let, hold on a second. And, and Jesus says, really? God paying taxes, Peter? Really? Honest? And so Peter's like, ah! And so fortunately for Peter, technically, they are under no obligation. But there will be now more to consider. And it's always more to consider in the Christian life than mere technicalities. Oh, you can be right. You can be righter than right about something and dead wrong. And we all know how that goes. And so closing up here at verse 3, where the meat of this thing now Jesus and his associates are technically exempt, and now it's time to choose a course of action when there's no thou shalt or thou shalt not. What is the guiding principle? How do I know what to say or what not to say? Well, that said, Peter, we don't want to trip them up. That's what the word means. And the guy's outside the door. What about them, Peter? Let's, let's start thinking about how our actions and our words and our choices are going to affect them. That's what's guiding me, Peter. So let's pay the tax. Get your pole, cast out the line. First fish that bites, reel it in. Inside the mouth you'll find a fat coin. Use that to pay my tax and yours. And so Jesus now reveals a greater law than personal freedom. Oh man, it is for freedom that Christ came. He came to give us freedom. But in Galatians chapter 5, it says, do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature, uh, but rather, or to assert your own right, but rather humbly serve one another in love, you see. So there's that higher... Uh, other-centered approach to life. It's no longer, when the Christian becomes connected to Christ, it's no longer about just our own lives. 
It's how our lives affect everybody else. And the greatest thing of all is not to listen, underline unnecessarily, as far as it depends on you to live in peace, uh, unnecessarily offend somebody. This is a big deal to God. God says, tells people who come to worship, look, you come in on a Sunday morning, you're writing out your check, you get ready to worship the Lord with your giving and raise your hands in the air, and then you remember, man, there's some kind of offense that you caused out there that's hanging. He says, just put your check away, sir. Go back into the car. Don't even bother coming in and worshiping. Get it right with that person. As far as it depends on you, your end, clean it up on your end, do what you can, then come and offer. It's almost like God's saying, you know, you got a lot of people come in and just think I can trash the world because I'm technically right and I can do whatever I want and come in and praise the Lord because it's just me and what I know about God to be true in all of this. And he says, no. It doesn't work that way. It's important to me how you treat. In fact, he says, look, the greatest command is this. Love me with everything you got. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love others. Treat them the way you want to be treated. They're connected. They're connected. Oh, we don't like that. We just want to do this part. This part's the easy part. And this part, well, yeah. It's harder. Amen? All right, I I see you're thinking about all of this. And so, okay, he's got a moral dilemma. They're in a pickle, right? If he pays, it may give the appearance that he's just like everybody else. Nobody special doesn't need an exemption because he's just one of the guys. And we want to avoid that. Now, if he doesn't pay, it gives the impression, as we've been saying, that he rejects the temple and everything it stood for, which was certainly not the case. So what do you do? Well, more importantly, there's the deciding factor. Since there's no moral truth that's going to be um, violated, then how will my actions affect the collectors at the door? Will I attract them or repel them? Will what I do or say help them or hinder them? Will I bring them closer? Or the word in the Greek there is to scandalize. Will I cause a scandal? scandal to them somehow and push them further away from me and the message of life. If they're offended with a Christian or with, with him, him, with God himself, it's going to be really hard to come and connect and find the knowledge of the truth and be saved. And he's got a heart for those guys standing out there. They're standing out there and he loves tax collectors. Everybody else hated them. The Pharisees despised them. But Jesus saw one up a tree once, Zacchaeus, and said, Zacchaeus, everybody hates you. I love you. Come on down here. Not even your mom likes you, but you know what? (laughs) They were wretched traitors. They were slime balls. They were terrible people, wicked, bottom-of-the-barrel kind of guys. And Jesus said, you know what? I'll come over to your house. And he came over, and, and Jesus' words, and boom, he gets saved, and he stands up, little Zacchaeus, and he says, you know what? If I've wronged anybody here, I'll pay you back four times. And here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, 
And Jesus goes, bingo, salvation has come to this house, right? So he's got a heart for the guys who are outside wondering about the tax. And what about Matthew, the tax collector? And why do you think Matthew's the only one who tells you this story? Because he's got a thing about tax collectors like his boss, Jesus. So Jesus is thinking, not, you know, should I, should, should I pay, should I, you know, should I, he's thinking, what will best help those two guys out here? Since it's not a thou shalt or thou shalt not, I've got to make a choice. And the choice is going to be a little bit of a sacrifice because it'll involve a payment, and it always is. And that will be the whole point, not to scandalize people when we're dealing with authority, especially here. Right? And so, you know, I would say that both sides, right and the left, politically speaking, in their reaction to authority, chose things to do that scandalized, that pushed people away from, from being attracted to hear their own message, whether it be on the right or the left. You cannot commit violence and bloodshed and destruction to get your point across, even if you're technically right. That would be scandalizing somebody. You see, you're stumbling them. And so we refrain from doing that because our Lord refrained from doing that. So once again, we see other-centered is here the key. Uh, since there's no compromise to truth and no violation of moral commands, I need to keep saying that. And because it's a good cause. Christ was free to forego his personal right to exemption uh, for the higher good of the collector standing outside their spiritual frame of mind. And so this will be a major New Testament uh, emphasis to, listen, avoid unnecessary offenses at all costs. And I underline unnecessary because the gospel is so offensive. And Jesus wasn't afraid of um, offending people. He did it every day of his ministry, that's for sure. And um, and he does it every day today. And so uh, when it comes to the gospel truth, Jesus is not going to budge an inch, is he? Uh, you know, the sinfulness of man, the righteousness is like filthy rags, marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh, there are people going to say, hey, that offends me. And Jesus is going to say, well, it's a necessary offense. Because then you'll reach out and find life. And so... He wasn't afraid to call out the bad behavior of false teachers, whether it offend people to name names. Paul the Apostle was naming names in the church. So it's not that we avoid offense for the sake of avoiding all offenses and making everybody happy. It's to avoid unnecessary offense by not being sensitive and kind and loving and smart and wise. And so... Yeah, I mean, there's a great example of when Jesus says in Matthew 15, here's what I'm talking about. He had just told uh, the Pharisees who had a problem that the disciples were eating without doing the ceremonial prayers and hocus pocus and of washing all the spiritual cooties off, you know. And so uh, he said, listen, you guys, it's not what goes in 
It's what comes out. And then he starts naming all their sins in everybody's hearts. And, and then the disciples say here in Matthew 15, Spence. Then the disciples came to him and said, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, well, every plant that my father hasn't planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them alone. They're blind guides, and the blind will lead the blind, and both will fall into a pit. And regrettably, and Jesus is grieved about that, but, you know, there are some necessary offenses out there. So we don't live to make sure nobody's offended because that's just not going to happen, right, in our business. But here's a classic example of laying down your right for the sake of the higher power. We can go back to the other verses there. Oh, I see you did that. Thank you. You're free to have your glass of wine. There's no prohibition about drinking wine, right? But in the church, there are struggling alcoholics in recovery, who love the Lord, who could be stumbled by. So sometimes we ask people, if you're going to have church people over, well, would you please refrain, especially if it's an official home fellowship group or Bible study, refrain from serving wine because you don't know who's sitting there. You know, So that's the idea there, is, is that I don't have to, I'm technically okay with this, and there's no sin, but there is a sin of not being sensitive and stumbling somebody else because you have the freedom to do so. This is what we're talking about. If you're out with a vegan who has got a high sensitivity to animals and animals are important and animals are people too kind of thing, (laughs) then don't order the ribs. You really don't do that. Or somebody's kosher, you know? You don't just say, you know, he says, oh, it doesn't matter to me, but just, you know, just out of respect, right? I had a Japanese friend over in Japan, and I said, this Japanese restaurant is the bomb. That's where we're going. He goes, I can't go in there. Why? They have a butsudon there. Butsudon is the place of altar, the shrine where they pray to their ancestors. It's in every one of them. It's like, well, no, they're not. They're not in every one. And I know the ones where they're not, and that's where I eat only. I don't want the demons flying around and all of that stuff. Now, I could say, bro, come on. Let me show you a chapter and verse. It's a ceramic thing. There's a kitten there. There's a cat that has its paws up. You know, who cares? They got it at Costco. I saw, you know... Stop! Would you so hypersensitive? No. The Bible says, honor that. Honor that. I'll give you an example, and I've used it before, of just the spirit that God is trying to pound out of us. I, I spoke at the Redwood Gospel Mission on a Sunday night, and a couple of you, I think, were there. <laughs> and there was a worship team that led worship from another church. Afterwards, I got hungry and wanted to go over to Chevy's. Do you remember when you could go to a restaurant? (laughs) You got hungry and you'd say, hey, where do you want to go tonight? And you'd go into a restaurant and there would be people there. (laughs) And you would sit down at the table. So I go over there with a buddy after preaching at the Redwood Gospel Mission to a bunch of alcoholics. And the worship team has big fat beers all over the table. And I'm like, guys, guys, hey. I, I was thinking about having a guy 
from the mission, come with me. And what if he just, you guys, come on. Any other night in your own home, you know, but here, come on now. And I got the rudest, meanest response. They're going to have to learn sooner or later. Show me in the Bible where I don't have the right to have beer, Pastor. I was like, I'm telling on you. <laughs> I know your pastor and he's friends of mine, and I did. Oh, I told on them. <laughs> Got him in trouble. That's, that's the deal, right? So he says, listen, you know, technically you're right. Do you need to apologize? Technically? It's all about principle. I was right. You know what? Lay it down for the sake of mending the fence for hindering the other person. Lay it down. Say you're sorry for your part of it. Just say you're sorry, period, so you don't feel like, oh, I'm lying now because I'm not really sorry. You know, that's just missing the whole point of being a Christian. Merciful, kind. Loving. What do you think mercy means? Mercy means not giving them what they deserve. Think about that and the mercy you've received. And so, yeah, I think you're getting the point here. Now, what if the guys came, and let me see this. We don't live our lives by people who say, well, that offends me, so therefore you have to come under the law of love and, and deal with it. Because I'm offended by your car, your house, your wife. (laughs) Uh, There was a guy who came here as a high sensitivity to Christmas trees, right? Because they come from the pagan world of this and that. And he came in and he said, Pastor, every tree in this church needs to come down because I'm offended. I said, have you checked out Spring Hills? (laughs) (laughs) That's just the attitude that we're trying not to have. Right? Uh, but I'm not taking the trees down. I'm not taking the trees down. So you have to have the discernment to say, this is a moment where I yield what I don't necessarily have to, but I will. Out of- now, let me wrap things up before we get to the fish and what's in the mouth there with this. What if the guys came and said, hey, we've got a problem with your teacher? And you go in there and you tell him, you know what? We heard that he gets way too close to those with contagious diseases. He violates the six feet with the lepers, you know. He goes straight through, no social distancing. He goes right up, and guess what? He touches them. No. Yes, no social distancing. And you know what? We hear what you guys do when you get together, you sing. No singing. You go tell him, no singing. When you guys get together in that temple of yours, no singing. We're offended. No can do. We cannot do it because there is a higher law that we obey God. And anything that hinders the effectiveness or freedom and joy of God's people to gather together to worship the Lord, anything that would restrain that... It's non-binding in the house of the Lord. Outside, and even in the house of the Lord, there may be Christians with a different opinion about that. And then we respect and show kindness to them as well. Ourselves not being under the law, though. But we are 
respectful in how we deal with people who differ from us. And so you see, there's a lot to think about. Is there not always something to think about? Outside of these walls, well then, you know, we can exercise different kinds of uh, liberties outside the walls. And that's, you know, I don't have a problem in Starbucks, even though if you could read my mind, there would be a problem. Uh, but I don't have a, a problem in Starbucks doing as I'm told. Inside the house of the Lord, we do as he tells us to do. Amen. All right, so we can't forget the fish and the coin in the mouth. So commentators are quick to say, by the way, look at how Jesus agrees to pay the tax, not with ministry money, not with the donor's funds. Because he's saying kind of to Peter, this isn't a legitimate thing. God doesn't pay taxes. I'm not using the, the money out of the, the, the purse, as it were, to um, pay this inappropriate tax. I'm doing it for the sake of the guys, right? So I can pay it with something you find, Peter, and I'm going to help you find something that can, <laughs> instead of putting that into the sack, we're going to put that in the hands of the tax collectors. And so as God, he will summon the coin to come to him. And as man, he will give it to Peter to pay. You see, and so can you imagine Peter, his heart pounding? I imagine he goes outside. The guys are like, okay, where is it? He's like, I gotta go to the bank. (laughs) (laughs) The river bank. And so do they go do, do they go with him? Do they go with him? I, I think they do. They're standing there. They're bored. Does Peter say, you want to see something, guys? <laughs> Come on. Let me show you what he can do and why he's kind of exempt. Okay, so they go down there, and Peter's having his moment. He's like, oh, man. Yeah, he's used to the nets. He, he's not used to doing the pull thing. He does the pull thing. He's like, here it comes. Tug, tug. And what, what does God have to do to make sure that in days ago, you know, days in the past, somebody lost that exact coin, the fish had to find it and want to eat it, swallows it, and it stays in its mouth without inhibiting it from biting down again, and then opens its mouth, and there it is. This is an amazing thing. And one writer said, this is the moment God has in every believer's life where a private, personal moment between you and God, where you come upon something and God goes, gotcha, you know, (laughs) And, and shows you something so miraculous, so deep, so private, so miraculous that you're like, wow. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. God's real. Jesus is Lord. And boom, the Bible's true. And it all just makes sense. I hope you get that moment. Pray for that moment where you open the fish's mouth and there it is. <laughs> One writer said, wouldn't it have been amazing? Because who carries that kind of coin? No fisherman does. It's, it's a couple hundred bucks worth of a, it's a couple days salary maybe even more so in our money, if one of the tax collectors had lost that coin and then he pulls it out 
and the guy's remembering, didn't you lose a poor drachma coin? And so now they're going to hand back the coin that belonged to the tax guy. Here, take this. And, and this is for our tax. Well, you know, you can't prove that. But you know what? As he said, when I read this, this you're going to be surprised about all the little P.S. by the way stories that we don't know happened that just bring honor and such glory uh, to Jesus. And so bottom line, bottom line, you live in a world where everybody's angry, our nerves frazzled, nobody knows what's coming, it's not looking good. Now's the time to lay down our right to be heard, to be right, and to think of the more important thing, the lifeboat, the drowning people. Get them in. And the way to draw a drowning person is, is not to be offensive and push them further away, but to win them. Stop trying to win the argument and start trying to win the soul. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be right. We want to, we, we want to hold out the truth for sure, but we want to do so in love. And we want the higher law of winning a soul and helping them to come to know you. Uh, we want that to be first and foremost in our hearts and lives. And that's so hard, God. We get just distracted uh, we're, we're all full up with our own anxiety and fear and uh, frustrations. Just help us to pause, to reflect, to be prayerful. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 